Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 9, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 14. I tell you the truth that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Today we are in our third and final episode of Linked 2.0, where we're trying to stay in contact with God. We are learning what it means to pray without ceasing, to be in constant contact how we might do that in different ways. And so we spent two episodes in what I call prayer school. Uh, We were learning about praying, learning about prayer techniques, different ways that you could do it, and seeing some of these in action through stories like Daniel and uh, Paul and Silas. This episode is going to be different than that. We're going to unfortunately or fortunately cut a little deeper today, a little bit more personal. There is a form of prayer Uh, an essential element of prayer in a position to live in a state of constant prayer, something that we need to get better at, confession. I've heard many Christians dismiss uh, confession because, you know what, God has already forgiven all of my sins, the past, the present, the future. He's already done all of that. There's no need for me to confess. He did it all on the cross. That's what the cross is all about. In fact, it's actually a waste of time for me to do that. And it's an insult to God because of what He's already done. Some even view confession as an attempt to earn God's forgiveness, that somehow the action that we take allows it to happen or causes it to happen, and therefore it diminishes the idea of grace. Other people say confession, it's illogical. If God already knows everything, then why do I have to tell him my sins? He already knows. And all of these excuses suffer from uh, two errors. The first one, perhaps the most clear, is they ignore the fact that Scripture plainly, repeatedly commands us to confess our sins to God and to each other. And secondly, they fundamentally misunderstand the purpose of confession, Because confession is not a magical incantation that I've done wrong, I say the magic words like sorry, and then somehow that forces God. It controls Him so that He has to release His mercy on me because of what I have said. And our mission of sin does not diminish His grace in any way. And obviously, our prayers never add to God's knowledge. It's always complete. 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just 
and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That is a hope that we have, and we hang it specifically on a verse like that. To confess means to say the same thing, to agree with. So when we confess our sins, we are merely admitting what God already knows about us. We are not giving Him new information. We are agreeing with what is true about us. Therefore, the practice of con- is, is commanded not for our benefit, um, not for His benefit, but for ours. Um, that's important. We don't confess to make God feel better. We confess to be in right relationship. It benefits us. It doesn't give Him anything. And in this way, confession is a lot like the discipline of generosity. We are commanded repeatedly in Scripture to give of our time, our treasure, and our talent because God needs nothing. We don't give it to Him because He needs it. He's already got it. But uh, because everything, um, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Because generosity transforms the heart of the one who gives. That's why we're involved in generosity. It's part of the process that God works to transform our heart and our mind. In the same way, confession is a vital means for um, God's likeness to grow in us, that we take the time to admit what is unlike God in our lives. It's a discipline, and it forces us to abandon that false self-image that we'd prefer to believe in so that we must take the time to honestly tell the truth, gaze at our own self as we actually are, and we don't like to do that. The human capacity for self-deception is almost limitless, but it gives us a distorted perspective if we don't get there. So, Adrel uh, Sanchez, he said, true repentance hates sin. False repentance hates the consequences of sin. Yeah, I hate the consequences of sin. There's no doubt about that. Um, Prayer masks, um, the way we come. Maybe you've been in a place and you've been talking to a person and you go back and forth with them, regular conversation, and then you let's pray. And all of a sudden, your eyes are closed, your head is bowed, and there's a stranger in the room. Who is that person praying? It sounds nothing like the person I was just sitting with. The voice changes. The the cadence is different. The the, the tone is adjusted. The volume changes. Let's pray. It's breathier. People change when they get into that prayer kind of mode. But we come to prayer. I would like you to think of it in this way. As you start prayer, what you're essentially saying is as we go forward, I swear to tell the truth the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Why are we so comfortable with lies? Not just the ones that come out and everybody hears, but the ones that we tell to ourselves. We're shading the truth. We're spinning the truth. Why? Why do we hide and pursue our desperate attempts to shield ourselves all while damaging the relationships that we so earnestly want to grow, the ones that we want to deepen, the ones that we are depending on, why do we lie in them when we know that it creates sickness in them? Psalm 32 
starting with verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Two, blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. Verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Four, for day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Five, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave me. You forgave the guilt of my sin. And here's what we know. We have seen it. We know this. We've, uh, you've experienced it probably many of you for years. Many of the best known, most loved, most celebrated, famous Bible characters are, were scoundrels. Uh, take King David as an example. Sure, he possessed some noble qualities. He was um, well known for some of those things, but he's also very well known as being a liar and an adulterer at best and a rapist at worst. He was also a scheming, conniving murderer. But right near the top of his resume package that he submits, there's a reference letter. That reference letter is from God where he is called a man after God's own heart. He is known for his sins. He's not just a man after God's own heart because he sins, obviously. His great list of common sins, his big list of extraordinary sins. It's not the absence of his sins that makes him famous, but it is in spite of his sins because of his earnest pursuit of God. And the explanation may just be found in David's prayers. We just read one of them. He, his psalms, his prayers are psalms, and most of the book of psalms is David's interaction with God. In David's prayers, they run the spectrum. There are uh, adoration psalms, wonder, glory, thank you so much. There's anger, God, how could you send judgment? There's contrition, I'm so sorry. I can't believe what I was involved in. And there's contempt. What you see, what we have recorded is David's prayers were profoundly human. They were uncomfortably honest. And if you go and read them now, there will be things that you say, I don't think I should say that. I don't think that that's godly to say what he said. I don't think that I should have those words coming out of my mouth. He expressed the truth about himself to God, the good, the bad, the ugly. It wasn't what he went saying to other people. This is what he said when he was in time with God. And that's got to be reassuring to all of us, especially any of us who are not perfect. And as we gather today at Church Online or church on Main Street, it is important for you to remember that we are perfectly imperfect. There is not one of us, no, not one, who is not deeply in need of a Savior to save us, a God who could save us from our sins because our sins, they are aplenty. There's further good news for all of those who are starting it into one, testing it out, maybe watching church online to see, wondering, could I actually be part of a church? 
Can I belong to a place that's supposed to be known for holiness when I don't have it all sorted out? My life is not all put together. Can I be part of a church if I don't even know what I actually believe about God? And the answer that we have tried to bring across to those of you who come on a regular basis is yes. Yes, yes. That is one of the major reasons that we exist. We exist so that you can belong before you believe. That you can come in and you can join us on this road trip and earnest pursuit of Christ where we are being brought together into one. We find hope and we find freedom in the love of Jesus. We would welcome you to come with us on that trip. We're not at the end. You can join us in process. And as you continue on this road trip, we will continue to increasingly challenge you to be bold, to take steps and then to take next steps that will move you along this pathway in pursuit of Jesus. The courage that it takes to abandon the pretense, to reveal ourselves truthfully to God, that is a mark of mature faith. That is the direction that we are heading. No more masks. For God, for others, we pick up masks. We play characters. We show people different things. Who would you like me to be? I can do that. Who would you like me to think? Who would I like you to think that I am? When I get up and I make my plan, when I get dressed, when I think about what I'm going to do and what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it, who would you like to think that I am? And I can say, I can do it. And I can be the, the fervent faker. I can be the pious pretender. And I can be the happy hypocrite. I can do them all. I've learned and I've practiced how to put on a face But can I let myself just be me in front of you? This is a struggle. And it's a struggle that doesn't just evaporate. It doesn't go away with age. It doesn't go away with the right Bible study. It doesn't just evaporate us. Many of us still approach God in prayer the way that we may uh, approach church on Sundays. We take the time in the morning to make ourselves presentable. The one day in the week that you have to take a shower, whether you need it or not. You take the time to change the clothes on the kids and make them presentable. Clean them up and maybe clean up our language. Maybe not. And we pretend to be someone that we're not. And of course, it's silly to masquerade before an all-knowing God all-seeing God. So why do we do it? Why do we continue to willfully, of our own volition, do these things? They don't make sense. Frequently, it's because we cannot accept ourselves. And I like the pretend version of me better than the real version that travels with me wherever I go. 
C.S. Lewis, he said, we must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. This is what David modeled in his prayers. So, what's in you today? Here's the calling for us right now. From John chapter 4, starting at verse 23, yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in, in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. 24, God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. What we do in the other times is called hiding. Hiding our sin, here's an important note for you, hiding our sin will disrupt our prayers more than the sin itself. It requires actions and then further actions. Thankfully, more and more people in our society are looking for more and better examples. They're looking for models that they can adopt. They're looking for stories that inspire. They're looking for new stories, new examples that they can fashion themselves after because they are tired of what they have seen. They're looking for presence and not just presentation. They're not just looking for somebody's brand. They're looking for an experience of God and not just more information about God. They're longing for a touch, for something real. And I don't know about you, but I am, I'm done with the business of faking it. This is what I really look like. This is who I really am. I don't always like it, but I'm committed to change and not camouflage. I'm so tired of hearing the stories about the ongoing flood of church leadership scandals. Just done with it. And if you think that it bothers you because you heard another story, I can assure you that it bothers me deeply. Now it's people that I know, brothers in the faith, sisters in the faith. It just brings about such a fatiguing ache. People who have been forced to hide and then get caught because they never learned how to be open and deal with things. I got no more tolerance for emotional abuse, for clergy abuse, for sexual abuse, and the general mistreatment of people that has come from within the church. So Sarah, she's gone downstairs now, but she's been leading us forward on a path to ensure that we are always well prepared through our plan to protect, our preemptive guide to care and to safety that, uh, for anyone who's going to be involved in any of our church programs. This kind of care costs money, it costs time, it costs people, and it's frustrating sometimes to deal with some of those complications when we could just do it like this and not be safe. But we are committed to loving people well. We're also committed to loving people wisely. And that's why I need to tell you about one of what I think is the greatest new developments from our family of churches, the Alliance. They have created and they have implemented a national strategy for dealing with any level 
of sexual misconduct that happens in or around into one or in and around any of our other churches. There is now a link that has been set up on the very front page of our website. Could you show me what that link looks like that will link you to our national director? It will not go through me. I do not have any power or influence to adjust the claims in it. I can't have the opportunity to simply turn a blind eye like has happened in so many other places. It's simply not an option, and I appreciate them doing this so much for your safety, for my safety, for the safety of all people who come in contact with us, and for the safety of the reputation of Jesus. I really am so glad that they have implemented this strategy and put it together. And together we go forward, learning that hiding our sins will disrupt our prayers more than the sin itself. Get that into your head. You're, you're worried about that one thing, but it breaks the whole relationship, and it's an ongoing problem that we spiral deeper and deeper into. And thank goodness that there is a rising desire in people for authenticity and transparency in our culture, even at the same time, or perhaps caused by, is exacerbated by the, the, uh, the lack, the decrease of public trust in our leaders and in our institutions. That continues to decline, and yet people long for it more. It continues to decline even as social media conditions us to present fake portraits of our daily lives. Look at me, looking good all the time. And so I would challenge you to commit yourself to tell the truth. Tell the truth to God. Tell the truth to each other. But perhaps most importantly, get it into your head to tell yourself the truth. Be people of integrity and welcome others into your presence, in, in, into authenticity by offering a spa safe space so that they know that you're a safe person that they can tell the truth to. Your presence should be a balm in this world. Being around you should be a place of safety that other people could just go, I feel better being here. Stop the practice of spinning the situation. There is no point in masking your anger, masking your fear, or your sin from God. You know what? He sees it anyway. You didn't fool him. This is why Richard Foster advises us to pray. Come back to prayer, even, and I love the way he said this, even when we are soaked in ungodliness. He said, we lift our disobedience into the arms of the Father. He is strong enough to carry the weight. Sin, to be sure, separates us from God, but trying to hide our sin separates us all the more and all the more deeply, we could add. So as we go forward, the goal is uh, reconciliation, not just atonement. Words that you might not fully grasp. We'll talk about what that means as we go forward. Um, there's a, an author, Sky Jatani. He tells the story of a guy named Walter, uh, a man who arrived at his church office, didn't have an appointment. He was not a member of the church, never had gone to any of the services at the church. Um, but he eagerly came in and started talking to the church secretary. He said, I got to speak with a pastor. Can you set up a meeting for me with a pastor? And so he opens up when he has this meeting surprisingly quickly. Let's get into the depth of it right away. Two confessions. The first one, I, uh, I'm really not into religion at all. Okay. Second, 
Walter admitted to an inappropriate relationship that he'd had with one of his employees. This caused a whole lot of problems for his business, which is now losing money. And his business partner, a Christian, was angry when he discovered Walter's transgression, but not necessarily for the reason that you may think. He told Walter that in order to make things right with God so that God will bless the business again, you need to go and make a large donation to a church. So that's why he's there sitting in Skye's office. Walter pulls out the checkbook and asks, how much should I give to the church? Walter's instincts, not uncommon, and they reveal a popular, very popular misunderstanding about confession. While he wanted to make atonement for his sin to make it right, Walter's goal was not reconciliation, relationship with God. And ultimately, he simply wanted his business to thrive again. And his partner had convinced him that the, an offering for sin would appease God's anger. You can pay him off, and then he will go back and start blessing us again. For reference sake, no, the check was not accepted. Here's the point. There is a difference between confessing sin, atoning for sin, and reconciliation with God. And many of us, many of us feel guilty. Maybe I've made you feel guilty right now. Maybe uh, you feel guilty about your transgressions, those things that you've done wrong, and many of us would love to escape the consequences of our sinful decisions. And that might lead us. It might drive us to a place of prayer. It's time to confess, God. I've got to, I've got to confess to you, or maybe, maybe I have a spiritual mentor, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to confess to them. I need to confess. Far fewer of us, however, actually want our sins removed so that we might live again in right relationship, in communion with God. And that's what makes David's prayer of confession in Psalm 51 so remarkable. Before we get to the prayer, what did he have to confess for? So David's king. He's been king for a while. He's slacked off on some of his duties. He's getting a little used to it. I got a team. I got people. I'm going to let them handle it. So he stopped, stopped doing some of his um, duties. He's at home when he's supposed to be doing something else. He looks out and he sees a beautiful woman. So he sends palace guards to invite, um, force her to come over and be in the palace with him. He then proceeds to have an illicit relationship. And this is where the language people don't like, how you can describe it. Some say he commits adultery. Some say he rapes her. There's an incredible imbalance of power there when you have guards to bring someone to the king and say, hey, we're going to get together for a little bit. It turns out that because of that, Bathsheba's now pregnant. What do I do? Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, isn't at home. He's doing what David is supposed to be doing. He's supposed to be out fighting for his country. So David says, I'm going to call Uriah. I'm going to bring him home. And if I bring him home, they'll get together. Then we can cover the whole thing up and say, no, 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 it's Uriah's baby. But Uriah says, no way. I'll come home, but there's no way I'm going home. I'll sleep in the castle with the men. I will not break what I have said that I'm going to do. And so he won't go home. So now we've got to deal with Uriah. 
David sends Uriah back to war and says, you're doing a great job. In fact, you're doing such a good job, I got a promotion for you. You get to be first. You get to be the first one into the battle. A guaranteed suicide position. So King David, to cover up, has now sent Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, the the woman that David invited to the castle with guards, sends him to his death, committing murder. The prophet Nathan comes in for a visit to King David, and Nathan, the prophet, says to David, the king, I want to tell you a story. There is a guy who has a lamb. It's a nice lamb, cute lamb, but he's got one. And there's another guy who's got thousands. He's got so many, he doesn't know what to do with them all. The guy with many says to the guy with one, I like your lamb. I want your lamb. I'm going to take your lamb. And he takes the one lamb that the man has for himself. And Nathan the prophet says to David the king, what do you think about that? And David's righteous anger boils up. His indignation is at the top. That is a bad man. He deserves death. And the famous line, the prophet Nathan says to King David was, you are that man. Understanding arrives for David. The feelings that he had of righteous indignation are good feelings. He is accurate in what he's feeling. He had just removed himself from the situation. I was not there is sort of what he's thinking. And we get Psalm 51 after this event, after David is met by Nathan, after the prophet meets the king and understanding has come. This is what David now, the prayer guy, the songwriter says, Psalm 51, starting at verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions to wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Three, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Jump down, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 11. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. 16, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. 17, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. And a broken and a contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Like Walter, David wanted his sin removed. But David desired its removal for a very different reason than Walter. He wasn't merely interested in avoiding the unpleasant consequences of his behavior. David confessed so that he might be reconciled to God, reconciled with God, that the partnership that they had enjoyed would be restored. 
He was called a man after God's own heart, not because he did not sin, but because David longed for God himself and not merely for God's blessings. Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us too, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He is to be the goal. He is our focus. That's where we're going. That's what we strive after. Like a runner runs a race. And therefore, yes, we ought to avoid sin, which acts like thorny vines tangled around our legs, preventing us from reaching Him, making it hard to run, hard to walk. My stride is impaired. I can't do it anymore. And confession is one of the ways that we cut those vines. But the reason we cut them is to draw nearer to God That is where we are running. So Jesus isn't interested in people who merely appear clean on the outside. He wants to be cleaning us from the inside, a true transformation of our heart and our minds. And part of this process is for us admitting the ugly things that abide within us. They're in there. They rattle around. Some days they flare. Some days they decrease. And to confess them to God in prayer. As Jesus taught, it isn't enough not to murder, taking an action. We are also called to not cultivate anger in our hearts, an attitude. A shallow beginning faith simply seeks to avoid bad behavior. I've got to stop doing that. I can't do that thing. That thing that you do, I can't do anymore. And so we hear phrases that used to be popular like, I don't smoke or chew or run with girls who do. I will avoid the bad. I don't go to see movies. I don't play cards. I don't drink the devil's drink. I don't smoke. These things, if I don't do them, I'm now godly. But a mature faith seeks to cultivate that which is good, that which is true and beautiful in the world. And failure to do the positive actions is not merely a a missing an opportunity uh, to manifest God's kingdom on earth. It is also sin. And as we move closer to God, we should see a transformation away from sinful behavior. Yes, it should decrease. So if you thought of a graph coming across like this, your sinful behavior should go from lots to less. But it's not just a decrease in your sinful behavior that we should see. There should be an increase. So the bottom is decreasing. The top should be increasing. There should be an increasingly more and more in you and about you that smells like Jesus. It's not just less of bad. It should be more of good and less of bad. Galatians 5.16, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the the desires of the flesh. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness 23, gentleness and self-control. And against such things there is no law. 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What does the fragrance of Christ smell like? Well, it smells like the fruit of the Spirit. That's what should be around you, and not one of them, not two of them, but all of them. That is the fruit. It is not the fruits of the Spirit. It is the fruit. It is one fruit, and that one fruit is all those things together. This is what should be increasingly appearing in you, and part of the pathway to that is confession. So let me conclude with a prayer written by a guy named Charlie Peacock. Um, See if this prayer brings a voice to some of your inner thoughts, your inner feelings, some of those things that you hide inside. See if you can find that His words are your words or words that you would like to be able to pray yourself. I keep trying to find a life on my own apart from you. I'm the king of excuses. I've got one for every selfish thing I do. What's going on inside of me? I despise my own behavior. This only serves to confirm my suspicions that I'm still a man in need of a Savior. The disease of self runs through my blood. It's a cancer, fatal to my soul. Every attempt on my behalf has failed to bring this sickness under control. I want to be in the light, as you are in the light. I want to shine like the stars in the heavens. O Lord, be my light and be my salvation. All I want is to be in the light of love, and all I want is to be in the light. Kind Father, as we go forward into this week, you are called the light of the world, and it is my desire, and I pray that it is our desire that we would walk in that light, that we would stay in that light, we would remain close to you, proximate well, that the partnership with you would deeply influence how we were able to live. I pray that you would give us the gift of confession, that we would be finding release, that we would find hope in the ability to release these things, to be honest with ourselves, to be honest with you, to be honest with people around you, around us. Continue to speak into our lives that we might also create a space where we are that would cause other people to feel safe, to feel loved, to feel like they can, in fact, belong and be safe and be in approach of Jesus. Speak to us today that you might speak through us later. God, we long for your light to animate us, to illuminate us, to make us shine in a dark place. Clear the vines from our feet that we might run and not grow weary, that we might run and not trip. We might run and not stumble in our earnest pursuit of you. Thanks for your patience. Thanks for your grace. Thanks for your mercy, Lord Jesus. Amen.